Welcome, everyone, to Let's Be Frank About Real Estate Investing. So wonderful uh, to have you join us for this show. It's our first uh, season opener for 2022 and thought that uh, a great topic is going to be current market conditions and inflation. So I truly hope you enjoy the show. And if you like the show, um, please share with other like-minded individuals, leave reviews. Um, Thank you so much for joining us at Let's Be Frank about real estate investing. Welcome, everybody. Roll up your sleeves, grab your pens and papers, and get ready to take notes. My name is Frank Taylor, and this is Let's Be Frank. Welcome, everybody, to Let's Be Frank About Real Estate. Uh, It is our first uh, episode for 2022. And I have my one and only favorite uh, co-partner, Jared Shire, with me. How are you doing, Jared? I'm doing well, Frank. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Yeah. So we have a lot of things going on, and um, today we thought that it would be worthwhile to talk and discuss what's going on with inflation. Uh, you have a uh, economics degree, uh, global economics degree from Western, so you're able to uh, speak to specific items with some knowledge and a lot of information that you've done some uh, background research on. And then I'm going to be able to add uh, my perspective on how things are going and how it's affecting the market as we see it today and how it could unfold during the year. Nobody is a, um, no one's able to really predict because all the things that, um, uh, you know, nothing makes sense anymore. So it's really impossible to break anything down with some logic. Um, but I'm excited about doing this with you. It's been a little bit, uh, it's been a while. Yeah. And uh, so this is great. So, you know, currently right now, we, you, you and I have been talking about this show for a bit. And one of the items that we discovered through our own research uh, was that um, many of the policies uh, that governed the regulation on how economists uh, used specific rules or guidelines in order to perhaps set the current inflation rate has actually changed several times uh, over the last three decades, actually, if I'm correct. So um, I thought we'd break right into that and maybe we could talk a little bit about that and what you've discovered. Yeah, sure. So inflation right now is becoming dangerously high. Um, I believe right now it's at around, according to the most recent um, findings, they, they believe it's around four and a half percent. However, if you were, like you said, they've changed the way that they calculate inflation. The the consumer price index is what they use in order to determine what inflation is. And the C, also known as the CPI. And the CPI is essentially just a basket of, of goods. And they track the overall price of these goods in order to determine what the inflation rate is. So if this basket of goods, say, was, you know, the average price was a dollar for these goods, and you know, next year is a one dollar and ten cents, that'd be about a 10% inflation, right? That's just to create a simple explanation for what uh, what the CPI is. But they've changed that basket of goods, like you said, like several times in the past three decades. 
However, if they were to use the numbers or use the basket of goods that they used since the 1990s um, back to, I believe it's like the 40s or the, or the 50s, I, I can't quite remember, but if they were to use that consistent basket of goods that they'd used for several decades, then inflation would be more like 15%. And this would be the highest inflation rate that we've seen in, I think, in American history, at least for a, a, a very, very, very long time. And so that's really worrying because inflation can be detrimental if it's left unchecked and if it's let just to go become rampant and out of control. And um, in I order to, it is. Yeah, we both exactly. do, right? Yeah, we, we do. Like it's, it's palpable. Like, for example, I, uh, I went to a restaurant not too long ago and um, there, was a, there was a little sign just, just outside the, the, the cashier. And the sign said that, um, you know, we've had to increase prices. You know, if you have any questions, please let us know. So I was curious and I go, so what's, what's the deal with the price increase? Like, I'm curious, let me know. I'm, I'm an economics nerd. I'm interested, right? So I asked them and they said that, firstly, and this is this doesn't even uh, begin to touch on the supply chain issues but firstly like they can't get half of the goods that they used to be able to and the goods that they can get have gone up in price significantly so for example i think the guy said that the owner of the, of the restaurant said that the price of beef had gone up like 20 20 percent or something like that which is i mean the restaurant industry is notoriously uh notoriously well known for having really slim margins so a price increase like that is significant so if you just scale that across you know 30 million people 35 million people in canada you have a real problem and i know that i know that you know that and and you've seen that before but it's a it's quite a it's quite a big issue well uh the issue and one of the main concerns is the fact that uh, when you drop the number about 15 percent, that seems to be more realistic so um, and the reason why the government seems to now, uh, and, it, and it starts with the American government. So it, it begins and ends really with the Americans uh, when they make uh, policy change with regards to their um, rules on how they're going to report inflation. Um, that is then followed by, you know, the majority of, you know, uh, the, the world. And so I believe when we looked at that one study, I think that uh, the rules and regulations on how and all the items that they used uh, to measure inflation um, basically had stayed and remained the same since 1930 to 1980, I believe. And then, yeah. and then every, every 10 years, there seems to have been an adjustment. And the reason why they're making these adjustments is because, you know, the, uh, in this case, the Bank of Canada uh, has rules and regulations on how they're supposed to keep inflation to a certain level so if you can change the rules then it makes it so that you can uh, basically get away with non-action and so our concern is is for the bank of canada the last time policy changed was in 2016 uh, set to expire in 2021 and uh, we don't have their new policy but it's not going to surprise me to see them come up with a new set of rules and Interesting enough, somehow Canada is only at a 4% inflation rate, yet the Americans are actually saying that theirs is 7 um, So, you know, the, I guess the point in that you and I have discussed so many times is that we're really not getting true information. And that's unfortunate. And I think it's been, I think it's been realized through COVID 
yeah. and through certain situations that we're not necessarily getting the straight goods. Um, we're kind of for sure, and and it's it's dangerous, right? Yeah, I mean it's uh, incredibly dangerous. I mean, uh, new home development, uh, developers construction. When you've got the cost of products going up through the roof, um, you know, how do you go and you gauge that? Um, you know, right now supply and demand for anybody that's buying investment properties knows that you've almost got to pretty well plan uh, what products are you going to use uh, two or three months in a row, and or if you're in the business of flipping properties or doing burrs, then you start loading up on your materials. Um, and then that way you don't have to worry, even appliances. I mean, it's, it's just about everything. It's touching uh, all aspects uh, of the market. And then people want to say things, well, that's because the, you know, wages have increased and, you know, they've just increased minimum wage to $15 an hour. I think the real living wage is about $20 an hour. So, you know, if you're getting paid 15 an hour, then you're literally having to have two or three jobs to even try and survive if you're living in the greater Toronto area. Um, so how this affects real estate is that uh, the bank has to do something. And we are seeing continual changes that indicate that it's constantly inflation is uh, moving up. And there are some other world events that are going on. Um, there's many reasons for inflation. There's logistics. Uh, shipping, they've changed. Uh, you know, if I was a truck driver and I was going to go through training um, and spend that kind of money, there was a time you could actually make a decent living being a transport truck driver. But now they're talking about uh, automation. And in many ways, they're unfolding that automation already as we're moving along in shipping, many of the uh, global shipping yards. And they're kind of in that trans transition where they're going from automation to manpower and so they're not able to keep up with it and then uh, truck drivers um, aren't really making enough money to survive and they know that eventually and not so long from now that a lot of these trucks are going to be uh, automated right? right and so their industry to a certain extent um, is going to be severely affected so we've got shortages of drivers now you know uh, staying current the uh, Canadian government instituting uh, policies with regards to vaccination with truckers. And, you know, we all have our own thoughts uh, with regards to everything that's going on. However, um, they're protesting and uh, there's even further uh, supply shortages or, it, or individuals who are actually walking away from the career and say, I just don't want to do this. Right. Right. There's just not enough truck drivers, right? Because they recognize that if I do this, I'm not going to be doing this for long. And the money I'm getting for doing this isn't going to cover my cost of living. So what's the point? Yeah, it's not nothing. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's just one part of a really large issue, right? Like take, for example, um, you know, how interest rates got so low and why they're so low, like quantitative easing. Um, you know, this is just an additional issue on top of the fact that we're not having any truck drivers, which is creating a supply shortage, right? Quantitative easing, which has essentially flooded the market with really cheap money. It's essentially what allows interest rates to be so low. When the supply of money in the economy is so great, uh, it allows interest rates to be low. So quantitative easing is essentially when you hear people talking about you know, the Federal Reserve printing money, that's what quantitative easing is. It floods the market with cheap money and that allows interest rates to come down. And so when you have interest rates at historic lows for 
extended periods of time, there's this concept in economics called malinvestment. So essentially what it means is that there's so much money in the market. There's so much cheap money. It's so easy to, it's so affordable to borrow that people start investing in things that they otherwise wouldn't in a more normal average interest rate environment. So that's when you start seeing bubbles occur. And I, if you've read the news or you know kept up to date a little bit, you'll see people talking about there's many bubbles developing in the economy. And the reason for that is this concept of malinvestment. Money is incredibly cheap. It costs you 2% to borrow. If you go anywhere in the stock market or in real estate, it's, it's very easy to get a return greater than 2%, right? So you start investing, it incentivizes investing. And so that's how you get these massive debt numbers. Like right now, Canadians have $2.33 trillion in consumer debt. That's enormous. And of that debt, I believe 71% of it is in mortgage debt. So that's an enormous amount of money that has flooded the real estate market. And let me just throw another number at you. Um, in the past two years, 20% of uh, home buyers are investors. So it makes sense, right? Like if money's so cheap for so long, um, you know, the, in, the realist, Canadian real estate market has been going crazy even before 2019. It makes sense because, you know, COVID hits, people lose their job, the government starts giving free money, and people start going, hey, I got to do something with this because. Like this isn't going to last forever, but I have all this free, cheap money. Why not go buy real estate? Why not go buy stocks? And that's when you start seeing these enormous debt levels. And um, you know, as as inflation continues to go up, the the Bank of Canada and, and the Federal Reserve and the, and the central bank, rather, in the U.S. are forced to raise interest rates because runaway inflation is far more damaging to an economy in the medium to short to medium to long term, really, um, than marginally higher interest rates but for such an indebted nation or indebted nations being the us and canada um it's going to be even marginal increases interest rates is is quite painful well they're not acting uh and they've sat on the sideline in my opinion for too long yeah um, this whole situation really uh was precipitated by the 2008 oh potential yes. collapse uh, in the stock market. So uh, lending policies and or standards somewhat got through out, uh, thrown out the window. And then basically to, I mean, we truly were on the verge of uh, complete collapse of the monetary system globally it means zero. Everybody's bank account would have been zero and it would have been catastrophic. So, uh, you know, of course, America sets the standard, everybody else uh, follows, but you know, it's interesting when you observe what's going on out there and you, you know, like right now, I, you know, there's factors, things that I see or have seen through my career that, you know, history has a tendency to repeat itself. And, and so one of the items that um, is occurring right now that, uh, you know, could be completely out of anyone's control is the fact that Russia is currently um, basically surrounding uh, Ukraine and are positioning themselves uh, for a full out invasion. And what that does is that causes major instability. We're really going into more historical data based on, you know, World War One and World War II. But, you know, the wars, the world wars have always started in uh, Europe. 
And, uh, and so the Balkan states are very, very nervous. Um, you've got surrounding countries that were part of the uh, old Soviet Union that have now become part of the United Nations and NATO. And, uh, you know, if one of the individuals gets attacked in NATO, um, everyone has to uh, commit. And that is why uh, after 9-11 occurred, it was deemed an official attack on the United States. Everybody had to react. But, you know, right now, this is a serious situation and could be one, um, you know, one lever that causes things to switch. You know, like I've always said, you know, the market is going to correct. It's been basically almost 20 years, uh, longest in history without a major correction, not minor stagnation, you know, sitting or it goes a little bit down for a month or two. That doesn't count. Um, right. We're talking about, yeah, we're talking about an event that's going to occur right. that could take, um, you know, five to 10 years to get back out of. And so um, I see and have said that, you know, it's going to be either, you know, something that's going to occur involving the stock market. However, um, you know, when the market uh, collapsed in all levels um, uh, in 1990, it was due to the American invasion uh, in Iraq. It was the original Gulf War. And, and people honestly thought there was a chance of a third world war uh, breaking out. So, you know- Frank, we, I, just have a, I just have a quick question actually, cause you, you were investing in real estate that time, right? You had just started. Yeah, yeah. What, what was that like amidst all of that chaos? Like what was the real estate market like? Well, it went from being a market that was absolutely booming, just like it is today with unexplainable uh, increases. Um, and so it was just, you know, it was, you know, the good times. Hmm. And so I uh, was buying at that time as well. And, and then there was a major market correction. Now, these corrections, by the way, don't ha happen overnight, right? right? So, you know, what I, you know, I am suggesting, or at least my personal opinion is that anybody right now uh, that is doing uh, flips or burrs, uh, make sure that they are really trying to set themselves to get in and get out as quickly as possible. If you have a mortgage, always do your mortgage uh, on a variable. So that way, if you need to make a change, your penalty is minimal. Uh, and then you can lock into a longer term. And I've, I know I've said this before, but it could give you an opportunity to lock into a 10-year term because all these cycles, if you look at history, have always taken about 10 years for them to completely recover and get back up on their footing. However, you know, I, you know, I, I watch all the social media individuals that, you know, are the players uh, in the game and everybody seems to be phenomenal at putting together joint ventures. And so I think that, you know, my philosophy would be to look at the assets you have today. Again, I've said this before, um, you know, do yourself um, a bit of a, of a check based on higher rates. However, this is the time that you really start to look at streamlining the assets that you've got mm -hmm. uh, and to try and uh, raise the income. This is an, an opportunity for you to take some of the funds that you're able to refinance and you know, bring uh, the building up to its highest and best use. And then if you get something that's an excellent property, doesn't matter how large it is. And it is overall bringing a great return and, and it's managed well, uh, it's stabilized. You know, if I were individuals right now, I would be looking for partners 
So if you've got a property, I would advise if you had a property, so let's say you had an investment property, Jared, then I would say that you keep controlling interest, obviously, mm. at the majority of the shares. So, so you'd manage it. And, 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 but then you could get other individuals to invest in that product and pay it off. I know that everybody right now advocates and have been advocating, you know, uh, leverage, 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 free money, right. which it is, right? But that's very, very dangerous. And basically, but if you're able to uh, stabilize your, your current um, portfolio and then able to get outside investment to put yourself into a great opportunity so that, you know, you've got assets that are paid for when the market does change, mm -hmm. there's going to be opportunities out there that you know people would have thought were absolutely not obtainable and you're in a, and you're structuring yourself so you can be able to capitalize it now obviously you're going to need to have like-minded individuals that follow your your line of thinking but the situation is i don't care who you are people have to understand that everything seems to be broken covid mm. is exposed right. um you know the government really isn't doing the things that we think they should be doing you know, you've got many countries around the world that are are looking at building infrastructure through the Build Back Better program, which is, um, you know, another conversation altogether, but it's real. It's something that needs to be done. Our infrastructure is uh, in terrible condition, but I don't hear anything coming out of the government in Canada and uh, taking great initiatives on uh, trying to rebuild our infrastructure, but it's going to come. <laughs> Um, but I think that right now people need to realize that there's smoke in the air, right? Unlike anything that we, we've really seen before. So I think I gave you this analogy uh, a week ago. So imagine that you're just on a flat surface. You know, Calgary is a great way to visualize because you're if you're in Calgary and just get outside of Calgary, it's very flat. But if you look at the Rocky Mountains, you can see it looks like a hundred miles to the right and a hundred miles to the left. And, uh, you know, it's ginormous, but imagine now there's fire smoke coming out in different sections of, of that mountain range, as far as you can see in different areas. And that smoke hasn't joined together into something that becomes an inferno. But if the situation does unfold, uh, where things do start to fold, meaning the stock market fears of war, um, you know, so what's the repercussion if Russia, let's just talk about this, the Americans are basically stating that they're going to uh, uh, take away uh, Russia's uh, SWIFT code. And for those who don't know what a SWIFT yeah, code is, about that, to ask. Yeah, SWIFT code is the banking uh, identification for every country. So it is, it is what enables Canada's banking system to be able to make transactions in the States. Oh, okay. To make transactions globally. Right. But if you eliminate the SWIFT code, then that means that money cannot be taken in or taken out. You're isolated, essentially. Well, right. it's, it's, it's more than that because now you're also, uh, this is why Germany's not getting on the bandwagon is because a huge part of their economy is backed and supported by Russia. So mm. if Russia can't pay its bills, it's going to have you know, a financial um, uh, rippling effect uh, when this occurs, but it is the primary weapon. I don't know why they just don't seize all of uh, Vladimir Putin's assets because they know where they are. Um, it's always the people that suffer, unfortunately, in these decisions, but there's so many factors and all of this is happening. It's all based on history and so I always get older now. 
I, I just find it to be so fascinating because it explains why things are happening today. Right. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and it just, I guess just to kind of summarize all that, it just, for anyone who's heavily invested, it, it sounds like there's a lot, and to use your analogy, there's a lot of separate fires that are becoming closer and closer to one much larger fire and creating sort of an inf- a financial inferno. Um, so I, I guess, Frank, my question would be this, and I was thinking about this earlier and I, and I wasn't sure what the answer would be, but is now a good time to be in a heavy cash position? And I guess the reason I questioned that a little bit, or I, I, I'm a little bit uncertain about that is because inflation is so high, right? So if you have your cash doing nothing, then you're in a bit of a situation, but it also shelters you from a potential significant loss with all of these fires going on, so to speak. So I'm just curious what you think. Well, uh, many players out there, uh, both big and small, are uh, hedging their assets and uh, setting themselves up because history repeats itself so that they are in a position to take over. They're not just having their money sit in the bank. Right. They're holding second mortgages, right? Ideally, if you really want to be successful in real estate, what mm-hmm. do you want to be? You want to be the bank. That's actually where you get your greatest return on investment with little headache and annoyance. And, and you only hold your funding on properties that you would want to own. But you know, look what's going on. Like, Let's just, just stop for a minute. And then we talk about all this inflation, mm-hmm. but look what China's doing. So China is, uh, of course, uh, one of the largest superpowers in the world, and they are—they understand the severity of all these bubbles. And China had a, has a massive real estate bubble. They're mm-hmm. poking holes and popping the bubble uh, in real right. estate, in technology. They are actually—they understand that if they don't do something now, it's going to be much worse. It'll be catastrophic globally yeah. if they're involved in that. So they're actually. I have to give it to the Chinese. I mean, people can say what they want, but we're we're hearing a lot of propaganda bullshit that comes out of every country. Everybody's got propaganda. Canada, United States, propaganda all over the place. So we're made to believe that, you know, China's this big bad country and, you know, it's a terrible place to live. But I've said this before, I've never met a Chinese client that doesn't go back and and uh love China. And I admire um, much of what they're doing. They're doing the largest projects of infrastructure that's ever been known to mankind is happening right now. They're building railways. They're building roadways. They're building uh, shipping um, uh, facilities. They are literally on the go. But you know, anyone else is, is pales in comparison. And they've had the ability we can agree on whether you know their philosophy is sound or not because some people are seem to be disappearing here and there um but you know you look at alibaba and you look at which is you know really our amazon and you're looking at you know the tech industry as a whole in china and you're looking at their banking system as a whole and you're looking at their real estate bubble which is a massive massive bubble mm. they're devaluating now they're devaluating they've actually passed a new rule I think it just came through uh, that it's against the law to build high-rise super towers in China now, and and have actually limited uh, the heights of uh, any and all structures in the country uh, to be would be deemed a medium-sized building, not even as tall as some of the structures. They're now looking at designing in uh, a format in their planning process throughout their country. 
uh, that would be more reminiscent of European style of construction, which is low rise spread mm-hmm. out over vast areas. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things going on right now, uh, Jared, and everybody needs to be eyes open and realize that things can change rapidly. And then you need to be in a position that you've analyzed your, your portfolio or your situation. And I know you're very involved in uh, NFTs and, and uh, <laughs> cryptocurrencies. So that's your, and, and, you know, and I am too, to a certain degree, but I've invested and just parked uh, my money and I don't, you know, I don't get into. Yeah. Know, the yeah. yeah. Changes for that. sure. I, to, to speak on that a little bit, it's, it's by no means like I recognize the volatility in that. And I see that it's a good addition to a portfolio that's inherently a little bit conservative. So it adds what we would call in portfolio management beta. Essentially it's just like a multiplier of risk. So it's just it's a riskier asset that can beef up your portfolio in a rising market and it can really drag on your portfolio in a falling market like it has i think the past couple of days down like 50 percent for the most part there's just been catastrophic drops but yeah. i mean it depends on your like everything right like everything and in investing in finance it really depends on your timeline and your horizon and how far you're looking out and i've always been a very macro person i've always had a very macro perspective and that's helped me up to this point um and that's also why you know i've i i think that right now there's i see the macro perspective of things and it to your point and again your analogy which i love is there's a lot of little fires going on that can eventually collect and create one much bigger fire and the biggest thing to me that is the most concerning is the fact that we're in an environment where employment is very shaky. You know, there's people want workers, but workers don't want to work because they're the money that they're getting paid. It, it doesn't make sense for them to take these jobs. And then you have combined that with the fact that the market is falling. And when the market falls, there's nothing, there's nothing the, the government wants to do more than lower interest rates. They love lowering interest rates because it's, such a boon to the economy. It's such an artificial boom. It's like getting an adrenaline shot, right? That's what low interest rates. It's just an adrenaline shot to the economy. Everything goes up, but it's short-lived. To quote Peter Schiff, who's an economist, he's a, I think he was considered a fringe economist, but he called the 2008 uh, economic uh, recession. And so to his point, he calls low interest rates and quantitative easing essentially monetary heroin. It feels really good, but the second you stop lowering interest rates or keep interest rates low, you feel awful. And the solution is to either A, take more heroin and feel better artificially, or to go cold turkey and wean yourself off. But that comes with pain, right? And so a lot of pain, right? And, and so that's, that's sort of how I see things because now we're in an inflationary environment. The market's falling, but they, their hands are tied. They know that they can't lower interest rates because inflation's so bad. So they have to increase interest rates. In fact, I think the National Bank, they've, um, uh, the National Bank and a few other banks think that um, there's going to be have to be an increase in interest rates about 500% this year. So right now, the overnight rate, that is the rate that the Bank of Canada lends to the other banks is 0.25%. They expect that number by the end of the year, or I think into early 2023, 
they expect that number to increase to one and a half to 1.75%. That's a low number historically, but that's an enormous number from where we are right now. And so, like I said, Canada's got in record setting consumer debt. We have an enormous appetite for mortgage debt. Like I'm looking here at my notes, we have 69% or 70, 71% of consumer debt is mortgage debt. So that's uh, like, that's, that's a really, really dangerous number. And so in an, in an, uh, in, it's one of the uh, highest in Western democracies, right? I think, I think it's actually the highest, uh, we have like the highest consumer debt per capita of all G7 nations. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, combine that with a, with an environment where you're forced to raise interest rates and quickly you're in for, this is something that needs to be done very, very carefully. And I don't know how the Bank of Canada or, you know, the Federal Reserve or the, uh, rather the central bank in the States does this because they know there's going to be pain and they're trying to figure out how do we make this as painless as possible. But it's a tough, tough, tough road to navigate. Well, here it is. It's a political situation. Yeah. And no, no government wants to uh, initiate uh, policy change. Uh, that's going to severely affect, and I underline severely, affect uh, people's uh, overall wealth. And so they're all sitting on the sideline. They're not reacting. And they're allowing this uh, situation to continue to grow and become potentially catastrophic. I'll let you know, uh, since the last time this occurred was during uh, the original Gulf War, mm-hmm. um, uh, NATO has just taken over um, one of the um, uh, fleets, uh, air carrier fleets, for the first time in decades, uh, and um, in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, there's a lot going on right now, and uh, and I will tell you, right, the the chances of uh, Russia invading are very, very high. Um, they're pulling. Why out, do you say that, friend? Well, they're pulling staff out. Listen, they do not pull out staff out of the embassies in volume unless they know something's going to occur, okay? So so embassies are now literally on most of the countries are, are leaving. The Ukrainian government is basically saying what they're basically saying. They're giving up on them. Mm. Um, you've got, uh, you've got the, Russia is circling Ukraine on all borders that are available to them. We're talking about 100,000 plus going towards a 200,000 soldiers buildup. You've got now, you've got NATO that are flying in jets and equipment into the Balkan countries. You've got now NATO that just took over uh, an entire uh, carrier fleet. Take a look at what is involved in a carrier fleet, okay? We're talking about, there's, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think it's about a dozen or more um, ships, including submarines, everything. They're now under the control of, of NATO um, because Russia actually is um, now doing global war games, global war games. Uh, so it's just been initiated. We really need to be eyes open right now. So here's the thing. What does that mean? Does that mean that everyone needs to be scared and shitting themselves? Well, if you've leveraged yourself, uh, you know, uh, to a point where, you know, if something happened, it would be catastrophic. 
Now is the time to start reevaluating your portfolio and looking at the rock stars, uh, you know, the properties that are absolutely phenomenal performers. Look at uh, redoing them to bring them to the highest and best use, get the best income you can. And I don't know, I, to me right now, I would be, if somebody either can't pay cash for their investment property, and that's not money sitting in the bank, that's real. So, I mean, I'm not talking about taking your cash and leaving it in, in the savings account. I'm talking about reevaluating your entire assets to get yourself as debt-free as possible. And then if you're able to do that with maybe putting together teams that are like-minded individuals, uh, you could position yourself to be able to capitalize. What's the worst case scenario? So let's say none, nothing happens. The market just continues to go. So now what you've done is you've actually put together a group that's like-minded. You've paid off an asset entirely. Now what does that do? Now you've got an asset that's free and clear. You, you have, you're looked at in a whole other way uh, in a banking, a lending situation when you've got assets that are free and clear. And, and now you're also able, if you don't have a mortgage, which is compound interest, and, and you know, you're able to self-manage your properties in such a way, if that's possible, to try and save more money, you can actually offer uh, any investors that are going to, you know, they basically want to be passive, but they want to own, right? Uh, you're in a position that you can offer them a decent return on investment in an asset that's paid for free and clear with the thought process that uh, if something does happen, which Man, we're literally, listen, millennials have never known a down market, right? Mm. I think I'm a Gen X. Um, and then my dad uh, was a baby boomer and all that kind of thing. But millennials have never known and they're going on forward to any kind of catastrophic event that is going to be detrimental. And you can't try and forecast how you're going to react until it occurs. So, you know, have you ever been a part, you've told me and shared stories about your stock invest investing uh and that there have been times that the stock starts to dump out right mm -hmm. what's the natural instinct when shit starts hitting the fan you get nervous and you want to sell right yeah mm -hmm. right and so you know so so when we go back to 1990 and the assets i had at the time i had bought for long-term future right so I didn't mm -hmm. buy, I, I bought for the rest of my life and right. my children's life. That was the goal, right? right? So so when you've got that mentality, then it's not going to affect your process. You're not going to all of a sudden get into, oh my God, sell. I Here's the thing I worry about. I see people buying, you know, if the market were to have a, some form of major turnaround, there, there's going to be certain areas that are always going to fare well, better, which are going to be your greater Toronto area, going to be an Ottawa's a great area. Why? Because it's all government employees. Mm. Uh, Hamilton, Hamilton's a great buy. I still believe it's a great buy. Uh, St. Catharines people are finding value. But I worry, I worry in a way kind of like a dad worries about his kids when I hear about people buying and, you know, bumfuck Idaho in a location that's like six, seven, you know, hours, five hours away. <laughs> Seriously. How do, no, you, no. how do you, how do you, how do you manage that asset? But the problem is it's not that, it's not that even if you have great management, but I see a lot of complaints coming out through different forms where people are having a hard time finding good management. The issue is, is that if small little communities get hit in a major turn economically, 
and, the, and we're usually talking tourist towns, things like that. If the market really takes a dump, tourism drops, these areas suffer, but they suffer for much longer. And so, so right. when you, yeah, so when you look at perspectives of, of ratios of decline in real estate and you go back to historical areas, if it took the greater Toronto area uh, 10, eight, nine, 10 years to really kind of turn itself and write it uh, itself out of the 1990, I can only speak to it because I lived it. Um, and, and seventies. And if you go back to, you know, it's usually always a 10 year cycle, but rural communities either sometimes never recover or they can much take, slower. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Much slower. So then what? Right. Right. You're in a, you're in a tough position, but Frank, I have a question from what was the market, the real estate market like in the nineties, like from peak to troughs, like what are we talking about for, uh, with respect to to price drop roughly, I guess. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the market was identical to how it is right now. So mm -hmm. it's just crazy. I mean, the numbers all change, but right. you know, people thought at that time in 89, oh my gosh, like who would pay X number of dollars for that asset? Like I remember when it was a fraction of that, right? <laughs> that story is repetitive. It's constant. It doesn't matter, you know, sure. kind of a bullshit statement to make actually, right? And so, so the reality is, is that that's the perspective that, that falls, you know, that basically is perceived. And what happened was, and it is kind of like, cause it's not a slow motion car accident because it can happen. It can flick uh, as a matter of time. So I'll give you an example. What can occur? What can occur is that you've developed, um, you know, HELOCs or you've got uh, credit lines that you've developed and uh, overnight. If something were to happen, uh, the banks can change policy and pull back on all the any of the funds that are uh, that you've got that are credit. So let's say if you've got a two hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand dollar line of credit, and you're using a hundred, all of a sudden they notify you that the hundred and fifty is no longer available. Those are the types of things that happen super fast. Right? That happened in the nineties. Oh God, like right away. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, with no warning and to people Yikes. every. And to people and business who all had excellent credit. Right. But you got to understand banks are literally designed to forecast and then shore themselves up for situations. Right. So they, they put nothing. So if, if they've got funds that they've committed to, they can pull back that commitment. And that's a reality. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're leveraged to a point where that could affect you dramatically, that means now you need to really, really start thinking about where you're sitting because how many signs do we need to have globally, right? And understand, do the history, kind of do the research like we have, that when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the, the statistics, the, the principles on how they wage or how they weigh inflation have been changed dramatically in the last three decades, Right. Mm -hmm. So that means they're changing the rule, rules to reflect their irresponsible fiscal policy, right? And, 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 yeah, and monetary policy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, you know, this whole chain of event that you've just talked about with regards to interest rates dropping, that should have been corrected a long time ago. China is doing something about their situation. They may be the only country smart enough to actually be inflicting pain but they don't have to worry about the politics of it, right? Yeah. He's in there for lifetimes. So right, right. Right. But Justin Trudeau's not going to do it. I can tell you that right now. 
And Biden has been a, a huge disappointment. I've never been, I was not a Trump fan, but I certainly, it's been nothing but a, a, a disappointment. It's been right. disappointment on many levels. And so I don't look at just, you know, the Toronto market or, you know, Canada as a whole. I look at all the factors that can affect our right. markets, right? right? Which is global. Right. You look at it holistically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's the only way that you can really take an objective opinion and then kind of see um, you know, the, the trees through the clouds of, you know, what's stacking up. So, you know, it sounds scary, but the reality is, is that if you're actually planned properly and you you're set in a yourself, great position to take advantage of it, great position. Yeah. Right. And then, and then if it doesn't play out, like, you know, maybe perhaps I'm suggesting now, what have you done? Well, you've put together groups of like-minded individuals and you've paid down your, your, your debt and you've got assets that are free and clear. Now, when a really good deal comes available, you're right? ready to move. My God, man, you're a yeah. cash buyer. And I'm not talking cash as in like, uh, I'm going to give a deposit and, you know, we're going to go in firm, but there's real no commitment there. Right. You know, people are, uh, you know, I'm talking when you have assets like that, you now become a, a different type of player in a lender's eyes. Right. right. And, and credit unions are great lenders to deal with when you're developing a portfolio. Um, yeah. So anyway, I always look at, I look at it as being a potential major opportunity to really, uh, reset, um, one's ability to be able to actually increase their overall wealth as long as they planned. Right. Right. right? It's a great opportunity to sort of adjust your, uh, adjust your debt, your debt levels, your level of risk that you want to take on. It, it makes you ready and mobile if you're if you want to if the market changes or like you said even if it doesn't you're still in a great position but if the market changes you're super mobile you're ready to pretty much pounce on anything that is attractive and i mean like you said you know you you continued investing i know in the 90s right like even when things went down you were in a position right to to take advantage yeah absolutely absolutely so it didn't stop uh it has never really stopped but uh did and when i felt that things were obviously um, at a, just things that just don't make sense or logical, then I step right. back. Um, but, you know, you know, that doesn't mean, see, right now I look at things like right now, what would be great, a great um, something to purchase right now? Businesses, small businesses, small businesses that have suffered have always been fantastic cash flow assets. You and I talked about this when we first met and I told right. you, don't look at, don't look at real estate, look at, small businesses that may have a real estate asset that could be part and parcel. It, you know, people just, they just think it kind of almost, it implies basically people who just begin in real estate investing. Um, you know, they think that multi-res is the way to go, but the reality actually is, is that, um, you know, when you get into uh, assets that provide, you know, triple net leases and situations where it's fully recoverable, or I think, you know, people would be very wise to be looking at business opportunities, buying small businesses, you know, you know, get into a situation where you could take over business, increase your cash flow streams. Um, you know, not everyone can do that, but for those who are like-minded and smart uh, and have the ability or perhaps an education that they can uh, lay out. But I think that right now there's so many businesses that are literally, let's say, mom and pop types of industry, and they've done phenomenal and have gained incredible wealth. 
but they're not big enough for a large corporation to take over. Um, and then their kids are spoiled little fuckers and they don't want to take over mom and dad's hard, hard, uh, you know, <laughs> it's all, you know, most young kids don't want to really, you know, they're not out there playing for brick lane and <laughs> very uh, poetic. <laughs> right. It's just, uh, it's a different mentality. My business that I had and, and, uh, it's always anything that's labor intensive, uh, can end up being, um, great income streams. Um, anyway, that's just, uh, you know, I, I look at, I look at situations and then I look at, okay, what do we, what does one need to do to prepare themselves to take advantage of this type of, uh, the ones that are going to take this kind of conversation are, uh, negatively are the ones that either are selling, you know, selling basically the story, their whole raw, raw is to get people to leverage, 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 buy, 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 buy even if the numbers don't make sense and um, but you're in the game, they put together joint venture groups, but not enough to basically pay it off. I think if you make your own orange juice and you get people who uh, believe in what you're thinking and, and what you're offering, now you've put together groups that um, could be very powerful and very successful, but they have to be like-minded and you right. have to have a policy, some kind of a business plan. Right. You have to be pulling in the same direction philosophically. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Frank, you also mentioned second mortgages, right? Like, I remember we had a discussion about this a little while ago, but you said second mortgages, and especially in a, in a market where, you know, rising interest rates, you know, record consumer debt, record real estate debt, that can be a really good play as well, right? Well, uh, all the major players uh, out there are holding second mortgages on assets that they would like. Lending, period, is the best way to go uh, if you put yourself into that position. Um, but, you know, everybody, who, who makes the most money? The banks, right. right? So, you know, who doesn't want to be the bank, right? <laughs> right. Um, like, how great is that? And, right. and if you're, you know, if you're careful... And you just don't put your money with, you know, like a mortgage broker who's just going to place it wherever. If you insist that you want stay, some say on what kind of asset you're going to be uh, purchasing, this type, this is the location, this is the area, right? Then, then if things don't turn out, that other person's paid the premium pricing. Right. right? And right. people don't realize that if the market does turn significantly enough for someone to lose the property, Guess who's also coming to the table to negotiate to a certain degree on perhaps cutting back the, the mortgage, the first mortgage I'm referring to, right. opposed to the second mortgage, because that's exactly who you're going to get your call from. And then they might be willing to cut a deal. I saw that happen all the time. Okay. So, so you know, I don't look at negative circumstances. I, I, I look at what could possibly happen. And then how do you capitalize on that? Right. And, and how do you set yourself up for win, win, win by, right. plan, by planning? Right. You look at it opportunistically. Yeah. I mean, right? yeah, the reality so is the only way to go about it. Otherwise you're just going to lose. The problem is, is that most people <clears throat> like, pardon the pun, they shit themselves when things start to go backwards. Right. And they become panicked. And they don't make decisions uh, that in the end will be in their best, um, you know, to their best uh, end game. They just get out. Oh, my God. The market's right. dropping. Sell. That's okay. why the macro perspective is so important. Like, it's important to have a wide perspective, a longer perspective. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. It's just no, no. I, I, I feel strongly about that. But yeah. 
the more macro and the longer term your scope of investments and just just your perspective it 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 helps you emotionally right to be able to ride the waves of the market and i think that's super important right to be able to emotionally withstand the volatility of the market right i i've said this before but like the market it's just human psychology quantified, right? It's just the collective emotions of the people who've invested and their ideas about the value of things. It's just ultimately human emotion. And the market's ultimately a manic depressive, right? People overreact, uh, the market overreacts to good news and it overreacts to bad news, right? So there's always this, there's this thing in economics called the market efficiency hypothesis, which says that everything is priced correctly, but that's not true because people are inherently emotional. And as a result of that, what ultimately helps to remove emotion from the equation of markets and to be able to, uh, to, to ride the waves of the market emotion in a stable, stable emotional capacity is just to have a macro perspective, right? And I think that's something that, I mean, ever since we've talked, it's just so important to have, right? And, and you've, definitely um espouse that and i think it's just super 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 important see what i see is a little different is that um you know there are a certain element of um uh let's say the baby boomers uh had you know they didn't see as much prosperous growth uh during their lifetime their their job they were told buy a home um you know pay off your home pay off your debt have your car don't don't take a loan it was a different philosophy, but they basically, you know, uh, didn't go out and buy the big car and, you know, really leverage themselves out. But, and so when the 1990s occurred, you know, it, it was really bad. And for many, it was catastrophic. However, I think that when this next adjustment occurs and it is going to happen, uh, no one can tell you when, but you know, when there's certain situations going on in the world that are quite significant, and the Russia situation is a big one in Ukraine, um, and the stock market is just well, you just saw the stock market react uh, yesterday to potential. When when people start to panic, but my concern is that when you've got like generations that have never really known nothing but upside growth, when it really takes a turn and really heads down, I just don't know. And it's not a negative. It's just I don't know if that that segment of the population are going to handle this well. Uh, and and panic is the worst situation that can occur. If the market were deemed to basically be collapsing, first of me, first of all, I, I'd hate to be in the stock market because you can have you can have wealth that just disappears overnight, and mm -hmm. other than having a piece of paper. But on real estate. It's mortar and brick, man. You can go feel it, touch it. It's real. And right. as long as you don't have to sell, right? As long as you don't have to sell, you're okay. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I, I just, um, but, you know, I think this was an important conversation. I don't think uh, inflation is going to um, be dealt with properly. I think that it's just going to continue down a road. They just announced um, uh, yesterday that because of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, they don't intend that the Bank of Canada doesn't intend on making any changes uh, in the uh, interest rates. So that's another excuse that they can use for not um, pulling the trigger. Really, I haven't, I haven't read that yet. 
Yeah. So keep your eyes on China and what mm. they're doing, because, I, you know, they, th- they seem to be one of the countries that uh, are really actually dealing uh, with the situation preemptively. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, interesting times, interesting times and opportunities to be had uh, everywhere. And it's how you look at things. And that's, uh, you know, that's how I roll. Yeah. Interesting. It's definitely interesting. Things are in a unique place that I haven't seen no one anymore has. since I've yeah, been no born. So, no yeah. One yeah, no one has, right? So listen, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time. I'm looking forward to our next segment we're going to do together. We're going to do things a little differently on the show from time to time. Sometimes we'll have guests on, have them tell their story. Other times we're going to have topics like today. And you know, for those who may find it of interest, um, please like and share with like-minded individuals. Um, because the only way that we really know whether this is worthwhile is, you know, by, you know, hearing from people. And if you have a negative comment to make, don't, don't, you know, just call me and, or, you know, email me and I'd love to hear from you. Um, but, you know, we don't know how this is being, uh, you know, received unless we actually see a lot of activity and or sharing and so on and so forth. But our next show that we're going to do, I'm excited about, it's going to be uh, realtor versus wholesalers. And, uh, you know, I want to look at the pros and cons of, uh, you know, licensed uh, real estate, uh, governed uh, real estate and wholesaling industry, which is um, really kind of the wild, wild west, still comes under the, um, under the control of the Consumer um, Protection Agency with regards to how anybody, any business conducts themselves. But real estate, uh, the industry, uh, licensed realtors are held to a different level. Um, so there's pros and cons, um, both for investors and buyers and sellers and all that. So I'd like to talk about that. And you were a licensed uh, realtor. Uh, and so you've got, a, you have a great insight on how it's regulated. And so um, I'm looking forward to uh, doing that po- uh, podcast with you. And I can't yeah, thank you. Thank you for all your time and trouble, by the way, that you've put in uh, researching all of this. Oh, no problem. I'm a nerd. I love this stuff. So like I, I've been doing this since I was like 13. So like I can really, I can go, I can talk about this for a long time. So it's my pleasure. And if anybody wants to know about uh, cryptocurrencies and (laughs) NFTs, you're, you know, you're almost having, you've got your own little, a little business going on that you're actually generating income from and you're, you're involved also in in crypto machinery and all that type of thing. So um, you're the man. Uh, And I, (laughs) I appreciate this. I, I love the fact that uh, you've joined me on the show, and uh, Thanks, because friend. I think it's, I think, yeah, I'm, I think it's really important to get perspective from uh, individuals uh, that are in your age demographic, uh, younger and, and older, um, because uh, you know who really wants to hear, you know, from an old fucker, right? <laughs> and and what happens to the canary in the coal mine, right? So you know, you know. Nobody remembers the canary in the coal mine, right? It, it's dead. Um, but, and so no one also wants to talk about, you know, wow, you um, this was predicted. I don't want to get into predicting. I just think that people need to understand the system's broken globally, it seems to be, on many levels. Healthcare and, you know, stock markets and real estate. And here we're seeing infrastructure for shipping and 
you know, uh, labor and, you know, people want to automatically think that, you know, the people who are going to get paid 15 an hour don't want to work. I think they should be releasing the stat, whether more people are going to university, going back to college to actually further their education because they've realized I can't do it on this amount. Right. And inflation's increasing so dramatically. How do you, how do you live getting paid a whole $15 an hour? That's, that's just insane. <laughs> this is something that can be talked talked about forever right you know yeah anyways thank you pal always thank you frank oh it's the best thank you so much frank i really appreciate it all right brother i'll talk to you soon we'll be right back Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the show. I truly hope uh, that you enjoyed it. One thing I need you to remember is that I have no interest in being a social media personality, but I do have interest in helping you succeed in real estate. So as my father would say, if you don't ask, you don't get, pick up the phone and give me a call. One of the things that I've been told that I need to ask is that in order for the show to grow, if you like the show, please um, hit the like button and follow and share and hashtag and do all those types of things, which I really don't know much about. Um, I know they don't make it easy in order to leave reviews and things like that. And we also do want to know what you think and um, are very excited for that feedback. One of the other things I really want to instill is... uh, you're only successful if you have a team that's behind you. And I have put together a team that really brought my vision of what Let's Be Frank about real estate investing is all about. And uh, those individuals are listed below on the uh, bottom of every podcast show. So I would ask that you um, look at their services and they're not paying me to be part of it. It's not an advertising issue. I believe in helping those uh, who help me. And um, our uh, podcast producer, Todd Miller, has been phenomenal because he literally um, listened to what I wanted and how I wanted the show to be. And again, um, I know nothing about this. So um, I know that of the importance of reaching out and getting experts in areas of weakness. And so I'm very, very easy to admit that I know nothing about um, um, social media and all these types of things. So you're only as strong as your team. I really try to instill that throughout the shows. Um, You know, you really, in life, you get what you give. And I also believe in supporting and helping all those who help me. Anyway, thank you very much. And I hope you really enjoyed the show and will continue to join us uh, as the road travels down with Let's Be Frank. Let's Be Frank.